folks, without white folks, and be able to raise the question, what is it that we're going to do independent of white people? It is very, very hard for us to envision a world without white people. But we cannot create our own agenda until and unless we can define an agenda that can envision a world in which they don't exist. Now we have to wake up and come back to the reality of them. But certainly when we talk about a future, we have to talk about a future from our point of view and our historical understanding of reality. Yemhotep, Hesipu, Indamanesh, Indamana, Nangadeth, Majwo, Salbona, Habargani, Anisogama, Peace, War, Pan-African Greetings family, you've entered Africa's reascension, and I am your host, Kamal McCasey Tahuti. We shall start off our show as usual with an apae or a libation, which deliberately calls upon the energies of our African gods, our African spirit forces, and the forces of those yet born to guide and bless this endeavor. I go, I go, I go. Odomakuma, Inyame, Inyame Wa, a treaty of Pong, Mawulisa, Oloro, Amen Ra, Beje Ensa, Asaseya Ensa, Abasun Ensa, Abasun Po Ensa, Nana Sergibi Ensa, Nana Esiketwa Ensa, Nana Dadakofi Ensa, Nana Tigare, Nana Tigare, Nana Tigare Ensa, Nana Sankofa Ensa, Nana Kumi inside, Kweku Free inside, Akonade Abena inside, Asubonta inside, Bochawewa inside, Tamensa inside, Shango inside, Oya inside, Oshun inside, Jehuti inside, Asar inside, Sekmet inside, Nananome in Samanfo inside, in Samanfo Abasuofao inside. Abasum, Abasuafal, Insa. Yeshremo Yansen, Yeshremo Ahodet, Yeshremo and Chera, Yeshremo Sikapa, Yeshremo and Kwasu, Yeshremo and Kwasu, Abasuafal, Ye and Kwasu. As to Chu, Odomakuman, and Yame, and Yamewa, Treaty Upon, Mawulisa, Amen Ra, Olorun, Use me and this form to transmit clear, African-centered, theoretical, and practical information so those listening can use it for their own transformation back into the sovereign Africans they once were. May I speak directly to their sun-sun, their spirit, their ori, their spiritual head, and their ab, the heart, which for Kenneth was the seat of intelligence. The Sun Sun, the Ori, and the Ab. And may these words awaken the long, dormant, and asleep African inside of them. Medasi Pa, Medasi Bio, Mo Piapo, Mo Ne Casa, Medasi Nanano, Yo Medasi Nanano.
the apae or libation is an ancient practice that is still done to this nanosecond in all rural traditional areas throughout the continent. Past, present, and future become one as those of tomorrow look upon what we are doing now and drawing strength from and doing the rituals of yesterday. A few quick notes of um, some housekeeping and then a few events. Uh, please click on all the ads that's on the um, front page that you're watch, listening to this from. Um, it helps with a program that I'm in with Blog Talk. Check out our YouTube page, the Africa's Reascension page. That's Africa, Africa's K, that. Africa with a K is plural and then Reascension, all one word, on YouTube. So A F R I K A S. R-E-A-S-C-E-N-T-I-O-N Just type all that in on YouTube And you go to our page there We have visual clips Of some segments from our archive shows Got a lot of favorites saved from YouTube And I've even uploaded quite a bit of stuff there too So a lot of our scholars <coughs> Mama Marimba, Amos Wilson, John Henry Clark um, And some others are coming soon so um, check out Africa's Reascension channel on YouTube. If you'd like a copy of my first book, How to Make a Negro Christian, go to negrochristian.webs.com, N-E-G-R-O-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N.webs, W-E-B-S.com. You go there, if you buy my book, 1695, and ship on the handling You'll see 15 other books. You can choose one of them, and you get that for free. So you basically get two books for the price of one. Uh, so negrochristian.webs.com, you buy my book, you get one for free. Other good blog talk shows to check out, African Holistic Healing, Ambassador Sar and our Mr. Holipsism, every 9th and 19th of the month at 9 Another good blog talk show, Pan-Africanism or Parish, by a brother named Taj Malik. Those are on Thursday nights at 10 o'clock. Pan-Africanism or Parish, Taj Malik, um, Thursday nights at 10 p.m. You definitely, definitely want to go check his information out. Very, very key and critical. And then Sundays is just like a jam-packed day. Um, for for um, serious conscious information um, Earlier at, at, at Queenie Fama I guess she now goes by the true scientist Her shows are on Thursdays at 7 Now I'll probably play her promo That she just resent me And it says 6 But she's in Milwaukee So she's an hour different So her show comes on actually at 7 um, Every Sunday So the way the noon Sunday lineup goes is Queen Farmer from 7 to 9, and then usually Africa's Reascension from 9 to 11, and then, um, ah, okay, and then, ah, thank you, and then um, usually I'm a rock squad, do they stuff from 11 to 1. Um, two events that, that's coming up, one here in, in the D.C. general area, and I see some folks in New York that's in the chat room, so definitely listen up for the second event. 
But for folks who are here in um, the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, July 26th through the 31st in Crystal City, Virginia, the Association of Black Psychologists will be having their 43rd annual convention. The theme is Akobin, which from the Akan is the war horn. Um, bridging for the future through collaboration and community building. So, and for more information about that, go to abpsi.org, abpsi.org. So, yes, yeah, so July 26th through the 31st, <laughs> the, 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 the Black Psychologist Conference is there. Um, a lot of major speakers will be there. The second event for folks who are in New York, now when they came here to D.C., I had to check it out. It is phenomenal. It is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You will never experience another play like this in your life. <laughs> it is the um, it's 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 um the Nat Turner. It's oh, I, what's the official name for it? But basically, it's a show. It's a play dedicated to Nat Turner, and it's done Nat Turner Day 2011, and this will be in New York City. It oh my God! It is done. <laughs> it is done by by some phenomenal people. Um, there is no negroness in this play. They they bill it as child friendly, but you would have had to be raising your child in a certain way <laughs> to be able to um, get the concepts and understand stuff. So it may or may not be child friendly. Um, but in New York, you you, you got to go see it. If you if you deliberately and consciously call yourself conscious, <laughs> aware, pro-black, nationalist, you have to see this play. I can't stress this enough. It's um they're gonna do it August twentieth, uh, Marcus Garvey Day, from five p.m. to ten p.m. at the National Black Theater, and that's um at twenty thirty three National Black Theater Way. 2033 National Black Theater Way. Um, you could probably just even Google um, Nat Turner play and it could come up. But um, yes, Nat Turner Day 2011. If you go ahead, if you go to that site and buy the tickets now, they're 15 bucks. They'll go up to 20. Um, so they'll say, hurry, limited $15 tickets. Um, Brothers Keeper will be one of the musical groups. Um, African Insurrection Music will be another one of the musical groups. Um, they've got um, Walimu Baruti, who will be the keynote speaker, and 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 he is the author of about 15, 20 books. He did a book on chess, um, Menticide, um, Your Reason, <laughs> um, Sesh, but probably his most popular book that folks got to know him by was his tomb, The Feminization and Homosexualization of the African Male. Um, so he'll be the keynote speaker. They'll have African drumming and dance. You want to go see this play and then hear Baba Rudy speak. Now, what I'm going to do is just to give you an, a, a, even a more of a taste of what the play is about, I'm going to share with you one of the songs. I don't remember them singing this when they was here in D.C. I'm a bit mad. 
great song. They had some other great songs, too, and I guess they couldn't do every song they had. But check out this song, and if you go to the link, it's on there, too. But I, for folks that's listening, who's going to listen on the archives, um, I want you all to get the, hear this song so you can then rush to your computer and Google Nat Turner Day Play New York and, and get your tickets to go check it out. So here is one of the pieces that made this, the song about the play will give, will share what the energy of the play is about. Oh, how I wish 
blogtalkradio.com slash Kamau301 K-A-M-A-U 301 What kind of God do you wish him? What's the name of it? Who taught you to praise him? Was this the God you were praying to before you were brought to these shores? Is this the religion you had before you were brought to these shores? Can you name one African God? Sundays, 9 p.m. Eastern blogtalkradio.com slash Kamau301 K-A-M-A-U 301 Peace and divine love family Do you want to critically analyze African culture from an intellectual, honest, and practical perspective? Are you tired of all the distractions, self-righteousness, yelling and arguing with no plan or solution? Do you want to build on the facts? and deal with the subject or issue at hand will come and listen to our nation's ambassador, Asar, make knowledge born every 9th and 19th of each month at 9 p.m. That's every 9th and 19th of each month at 9 p.m. on the show everyone is talking about, African Holistic Healing, at blogtalkradio.com forward slash ambassador Asar. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash ambassador Asar spelled A-U-S-A-R, or call in live to build or ask questions at 347-850-8653. That's 347-850-8653. Peace. No 
play the promo for my show that I put together. Kind of like it, that's why I played it. Um, <laughs> and then um, we played the African Holistic Healing clip, um, and we spoke on, checked him out on the 9th and 19th of every month at 9 o'clock. You are listening to a pre-recorded show tonight at Africa's Reascension. Please leave comments and feedback on this blog talk page. We will have a follow-up show on this information given at a future time, so please click on the follow button so you can stay updated on all the happenings at Africa's Reascension. Now back to our program. Urugu comes from uh, Dogon uh, mythology, a small group of African people um, whom Europeans would consider uh, probably uh, primitive, unquote, um, who have a most complex cosmology. And in it, they talk about Ama, the creator, having created all beings with twin souls, the male and female. Uh, part, and that represents the whole being. Uh, Urugu was a being that um, tore himself away from the process of gestation, the process of being born, so to speak, early, before Ama was finished creating. Uh, because he wanted, in his arrogance, he wanted to compete with the Creator, with Ama, and create a, a better universe, a better uh, an Earth, actually, um, than Ama could create. Um, when he uh, came down from the heavens, came to to begin the process of creation, he found that everything that he created was incomplete. That indeed he could not uh, create. Uh, 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 perfection or anything with life because he himself was incomplete. Mm -hmm. He then realized that he was missing a part of himself. So he goes back to Ama to get his female uh, part so that he could be whole. Ama had given that twin soul, that female part, away so that Yorugu was in the state of uh, searching for this other part of himself that would make him whole and never being able to find it, so that he was forever incomplete, um, could only uh, uh, create uh, destruction, actually, could only destroy, mm -hmm. um, and could never be fulfilled. Um, that, to me, was a statement of what I saw in uh, the nature of European cultural thought and behavior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, why is this study important? Why did you undertake this study? Uh, there's a personal reason that the point that I was at when I began graduate studies, um, I saw us as African people always being put into a position when we would be in uh, European or white uh, uh, academic institutions of um, being used to study our communities so that they can then use the information to control us. And I said that I would not be put into that position. And 
and decided that, um, as I was being taught uh, European anthropology, I said, let me use some of this and see if I can turn it around and indeed study them and put them under the microscope. And that was the beginning of this process. I think the, the uh, ideological reason, the political reason, most definitely was that um, Europeans have been very good at masking their intentions and their posture towards uh, African people and other non-European people. And we have not understood um, what their, their uh, purposes are, their intent towards us, have not understood their behavior. And I felt that this kind of study could help to unmask mm -hmm. what in reality is the nature of, of Europeans. So Urugu, an African-centered critique of European cultural thought and behavior, is about what? It's about how um, European culture works as a uh, consistent machine for the achievement of European power and total control of the universe. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Let some people think that this study is just for, or book is just for intellectuals and not just and not for the working man and woman could you tell us some ways that um, european uh, cultural thought and behavior have us working against ourselves one of the things um, that they do i think that is that is very damaging is the way in which they um uh how shall i put it train our children in schools to act against themselves and their people, to deny the aspects of themselves that really indeed are their strengths. We, of course, have experienced that, have been conditioned in this way, and it affects every single one of us. Uh, the, what you call the working um, Africans mm -hmm. um, may be in a better position to begin to understand the kinds of things that I'm pointing to. It is the people who have been um, so indoctrinated within the academies mm -hmm. that, have, that, that find it more difficult to, to critique, to Why? look critically. Um, because the academy since the time of, uh, of Plato, um, back in um, 600, 700, 500 actually, uh, years before the Common Era, um, the academy is the place that has been used to um, despiritualize the universe, has been used to, um, to promote a conception of truth that has no spirit in it. And we as an African people are a spiritual people. So that what it does is these institutions do is to take us away from ourselves. So the, the more time you spend in them, the, the, the more you are convinced that uh, of this European reality, which is not a real reality, is not a reality for African people. You make this statement in your introduction. This study was not approached objectively. It is not possible to be objective towards Europe. Explain that. 
the concept of objectivity itself is something that has been used um, by Europeans um, to control African people. Uh, it is a concept which says that um, we can contemplate truth without being connected to any culture, without, being, uh, without coming from any perspective, without having any uh, political implications in what we do. That, of course, is not the case. And what we did was to accept this and say that, oh, they're scientists, they're scholars, and so forth, were describing us objectively. What they were doing was promoting a uh, particular way of viewing the world, promoting a particular political interest in the world. I do not make that claim because that claim, it would be a lie. And it is always a lie when, um, you know, you open up a book and somebody says, well, I'm being objective in, in doing this. Um, how can you be objective? You, you are a human being. You're part of a culture. Your people have been, have had an historical relationship to other people. Um, for any African person to say that they are being objective about uh, uh, Europe would be to say that they were being apolitical non-political. We need to get away from that. So this is a very political work. It is meant to be. If you told black people that white people were committing biological genocide against us and that by the year 2000 whatever there would be no more black people, you would get one reaction. But you're saying that we're being threatened with cultural and psychological extinction. How do you get African people to see the urgency of the situation? Um, I don't know, frankly, if you can. I think that we have to focus on young people, young African people who have not been so um, um, conditioned um, with a way of, of thinking uh, that supports European imperialism, European power, that they still have the ability to use their, their, their intuition, their spirituality, their Africanness to create. Mm -hmm. to think beyond the limitations that have been given to them in European academies. I think most of, of us as, um, as adults, um, as elders, um, have been so conditioned that we're, we're afraid mm -hmm. to move beyond the parameters that have been defined by our enemies mm -hmm. in our thinking so that our um, our, our vision is limited, um, and so we are really not the people who should be um, conceptualizing the the uh, 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 the plans, you know, the movements, what we should be building. But uh, I focus on the younger people who hopefully are still more in touch with what is natural to African people. And if I can affirm that in them, they will see the urgency. I find that in my teaching. I find that in, in teaching young people, that once 
they are affirmed and, and introduced in a conscious way to the African worldview, it becomes crystal clear to them. And they see in an urgency in us as African people building for self, as opposed to imitating forms which have been put in place to make sure that we continue to be oppressed. Culturally and psychologically, do you think we realize what we have lost? No, not, um, you know, it's so, it's, it's, uh, it's ironic because we don't realize it on a conscious level, mm -hmm. yet we live it every day um, in the way we um, walk, in the way we talk, in the way, in, in the music we, we create. Um, there is a, a depth of spirituality which in, exists in us as a people, um, which has continued since, um, since our origins that our ancestors have passed to us and which we, we, we continue um, to pass on ourselves, that we don't consciously recognize as a strength. We don't realize that it is something that we need to use to think with um, so that when we are presented with a European worldview in the classroom, Mm -hmm. We think that that's the only way to be. That's the only way to think, because we didn't come with anything. So I don't think that, that we are aware on a conscious level of what it is that we've moved away from in terms of power. Mm -hmm. You see, that's what we're not aware of. Could you talk some about how we came to be who and what we are today? Um, uh, if you okay. understand the question. I think I do. Okay. I think that we have to look back at a period that I call the Ma'afa. Mm -hmm. um, we as Africans were very consciously stripped of our culture. Now, that becomes a platitude. You know, everybody's saying that. Uh, stripped of our culture, that we have to see that we had a strong culture and so forth. But nobody seems to realize the depth of what that means. Being stripped of our culture meant being conditioned to accept ourselves as inferior beings. Okay? It meant that we were conditioned um, to feel that we had to be dependent on Europeans, dependent on white people, that we could not do things ourselves and in our own image. That conditioning began with a period, a long period of terrorism, which was very physical, you know, physically manifested. At the same time, there was the breaking of the will. So there was uh, cultural violence, I call it, you know, in the book, as well as the physical violence, which was very important. We then came to a period in which we mistakenly thought we were free. We're now at a point where um, 
We think that we have uh, freedom, the ability to be whatever it is that we can be within the society and so forth. Yet what happens is that we are still thinking within a modality that has been determined by those who would oppress us, those who would control us. And we don't see beyond that. So the question for me becomes, um, who controls how you think? We have the, the ability to, to create our own structures, our own theories, our own definitions of reality. Um, to look at the African worldview, to look at, for instance, uh, the Dogon people, to look at the Kemetic people, to look at our, our own people who have, even look at Carter G. Woodson, for instance, the miseducation of the Negro, which I don't think was really ever understood by us, and to use these things as inspirations for the building of institutions, the creation of things, the, the, the building our own buildings. We have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like we've been conditioned so well through such a long process that now it is us who are enslaving ourselves mentally. Because the job has already been... The job has been done. It would be so easy, in one sense, for us to undo it. That's what I'm saying in this book. Because the way the system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work. And they will lose their control. So that they put all of this energy into establishing these, the system that begins when you're three, four, and so forth, which defines reality in such a way where there's no spirit, because they aren't a spiritual people, you see, um, which talks about this, this objective truth and so forth, which says that um, African spirituality represents backwardness, so you need to move away from it. It does all of these things which make you as an African person, me as an African person, us distrust the very part of ourselves, which is our strength. I, I'm, I'm going to get back to this question, and that is this whole question of do we know what we have lost? Uh, do we realize that we have not always been Democrats, have not always been <laughs> Baptists? have not always been black Greeks, have not always been links, have not always, um, can we, con how do we conceive of, uh, of ourselves in a different time? I think that there is a lot that is being done um, within the movement uh, of African-centered education mm -hmm. um, in that regard in terms of, I think we have more information now that, that we've ever had before. Um, and I have seen the effect of that information. That is very important that people do begin to realize and understand, first of all, how young Europe is in relationship to Africa and what we were putting into place 
creating, building, conceiving of uh, long before Europe existed. Um, when you open people's minds to that, it can have a lot of power. Mm -hmm. So that I think that generally we have not understood that, but we have an opportunity to do so because of the work of, of uh, many people now um, that is building on work that was done before that, that we didn't know about. Good evening and welcome to For the People and the second part of our conversation with Dr. Donna M. Richards, author of Urugu, an African-centered critique of European cultural thought and behavior. In this segment, Dr. Richards discusses, among other things, the role the Greek philosopher Plato played in creating the European way of thinking and behaving. But first, we begin with this question. As you say, other cultures have exhibited aggression, imperialistic uh, tendencies. What accounts for Europe's success? I'm glad you got to that question. Mm -hmm. uh, because what it allows me to do, I think, is to get at uh, what I think is the specialness of the approach, the method that I used um, in, in this study. Um, so it's going to take me a little mm -hmm. while, if, if, if that's okay. Um, I said to myself that, um, and this definitely was with the help of the ancestors, I want to, you know, uh, affirm that, by the way, that it was not... Why, why is that important? That's important because of our concept of connectedness, our concept of the universe, that it's not just words to talk of a spiritual universe and our spirituality as a people, but we've got to understand um, where our energy comes from. And I know that that's where mine came from. Um, so this is ours. Uh, this, this belongs to us. I had to say, how would I approach studying the European given African conceptions? You see, it's one thing to say, okay, I want to do this, but then use their conceptions. What does it mean for us to really think in African terms? And so what I did was to uh, develop um, concepts that came from an African worldview, not a European worldview. And I came up with the concept of a silly. I also used um, African and African language. That's a, uh, a Kiswahili word that means seed, origin, the essence of something. The reason that was important was um, because what people would say is, and they will say, oh, Europe is so vast. It is, um, uh, there are so many different kinds of, of European uh, forms and different countries. How can you talk about Europe as a whole? Now, of course, they've been talking about Europe as a whole all of this time, but when we uh, begin to look at them, suddenly it's going to be, no, you can't really do this because it's too diverse. Mm -hmm. I needed a concept which um, could explain a culture in terms of its core in terms of its ideological core so that you could look at every different aspect of the culture and see how it fit into this one seed or core. 
And that's why I used the Asili. And the idea of the seed was that once that Asili is in place, that cultural Asili, that it will seek to fulfill itself. So the way in which the culture will develop will all be feeding into that Asili. Mm -hmm. And that would help me to get at consistency in terms of European development. What throws us as a people is that we make exceptions. You know, we say, oh, well, that's different over here, and that's different. This is a good one over here, and this doesn't really work that way. But in my analysis, it's all consistent, and it's all working for one purpose. And the concept of Vasili helped me to see that. And that is, that comes to the answer to your question, is that uh, what I was able to do was to see that the nature of the European Vasili was to seek power. That it, uh, in essence, is, uh, we could almost say it is an Asili which lacks wholeness and therefore must, must always see. Go back to Urugu now. Remember Urugu as the incomplete being that is always, always must be seeking but can never be fulfilled because he can't get the, the, the complementary part of himself. Their Asili, the Asili, the European cultural Asili, is incomplete, must always be um, uh, seeking. Now, it, it cannot be fulfilled through spirit because they have no knowledge of spirit, no relationship to, to spiritual reality. Therefore, fulfillment is sought through power, and power here means power over other. And what that means is that everything within the culture, all of the development of European culture, all of the forms, all of the institutions, the ideas even, are all for the purpose of achieving European power. Now, your question was, if we can um, recognize that there have been um, imperialistic behaviors in other cultures, then what is the difference? Uh, between European culture and these other cultures? And the answer is that Europeans have been most successful at achieving um, world domination because everything within the culture supports the quest for domination. Everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. Including, and most importantly to me, their philosophical concepts, including their concept of truth, including their um, academies, academia, the intellectuals, including that. It works for, including um, Christianity as it manifests itself, um, you know, within the Euro European development. All of that works for the achievement of European power. Okay, okay. What would you say are the main features of African cultural thought and behavior that separate it from European okay. cultural thought and behavior? I think that um, that's a good question because even to understand the nature of European culture um, and how it works, what we need to begin with is the African worldview and how it works. That provides a frame of reference that you can then use. Um, 
the African concept of the universe is as a, as a spiritual whole, where everything is interrelated. That means that uh, what is emphasized is, is not only spirit, but connectedness. And that we um, conceive of ourselves, we experience ourselves, I should say, as spiritual beings. Um, that as almost as cosmic beings, and by that I mean that we are connected to, uh, to nature, to the forces of nature, uh, to each other, uh, in such a way that that's where we get definition and that's where we get strength. And so power for us becomes energy, the energy to do, to make things happen. We uh, energize each other. Interaction becomes important. Complementarity becomes important. The relationship between spirit and matter is one in which they are connected, where material reality is understood as just the way spirit manifests itself. That simply. On the other hand, in the European worldview and way of thinking, the way of looking at the universe, Human beings become separate and distinct individuals. The only way that you can know anything about the universe is to separate yourself from it, to take connectedness out of it, and thereby create what they call the object. That's all that you can know. Now, this, this object is a thing mm -hmm. that has... Uh, no, no, uh, no feeling, no meaning, no spirit, okay? That's a create, that's an illusion in their minds, mm -hmm. but it works for them because if they, what, what Plato did, if we can go back to Plato, okay. is that if he could get people to uh, agree that this was the only truth, then what he could do is say that, well, the people who were closest to that truth, those are the people who should rule all the other people. Mm -hmm. So that worked within their culture. It gave him the basis for a hierarchy within Europe. Now explain to me this creation of the object thing. I'm not, not clear on that. Okay, what you do is um, if you can, as a human being, first separate, make a split in yourself and say there's part of me that thinks and there's part of me that feels. Now, in reality, that doesn't happen. You're a whole person. At least that's the African conception. Uh -huh. But in his conception, that's what he said. That's what Plato said. Then what you say is, there's a part of me that's better than the other part of me. This thinking part is better than this other part. Okay? Then you say that the better part needs to either control or do away with that lesser part. Mm -hmm. So you got this thinking being. This emotional part or what? The thinking part is getting rid of the emotional part. Right. Uh -huh. Okay? Uh -huh. Trying to control that. And so then what he says is, that's the only way that you can have knowledge. Okay? So here you, if you have somebody who is feeling, who is dealing with feelings, okay, um, or he, who is defined in that way, then they're the lesser person, they're the bad person, and they should be controlled by the person who is just doing this thought thing, mm -hmm. you see, that they've constructed, all right? So within the state that he constructed, the republic, 
then he was able to say, uh, base it all on this concept of the object, to say that these better people who could, who could understand the object, who were not spiritually into things, they were the people who should control things. Well, look what happens then when you get nations relating to each other or cultures relating to each other. You say, the culture that accepts this um, objective way of looking at truth, that's the creation of the object. That culture should dominate, control those that don't have that concept. They con should control the more spiritual culture because they're the ones that are more civilized, more scientific, more rational, and all of those things. Now, I'm going to push you on this. This is a very okay. difficult, this is. Is a very difficult topic. Right. I'm going to push you because we want to make sure that, first of all, I understand, and secondly, that everybody <laughs> in the viewing audience okay. understand the creation of this object. object. Can I push okay. This object. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get at that. Okay. Um... It's, it's always better for me to go back to our experience, okay? Mm -hmm. For us, what I call uh, a phenomenal universe is important. And to break that down, all we mean is that experience is important. The way we experience things is important in our knowing, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Go back to the European conception, the creation of the object. You take out experience. There should be no experience in there at all. There should be no connection. Okay? Another thing. For us, we learn through our involvement in the universe, in life. That, again, is experience. Go to the creation of the object. The way the object is created is by detaching the self from everything. The object is what? The object is the thing that is left when you detach yourself from the universe. All right. Say Remember, that again. Say that again. the object is what is left, and it's a thing. <laughs> uh -huh. When you detach yourself from the universe. Okay. Think about Descartes saying, I think, therefore I am. Meaning that there's nothing else that is important about a human being except this ability to somehow do this thing of rational thinking on this object. That's all that makes you a human being. That's what makes you important. For us, you can't separate thought and emotion. They're part of, they, their thought and feeling are necessarily linked and from that, we get intuitive knowledge, which is very important for African What people. do the two do for each other, the emotional part and the, and the quote, rational? I think what they give is they, they give us, uh, for one thing, intuitive understanding of things. Mm -hmm. That is, for African people, like the, the ancients used to say, know thyself. What they meant by that is we are like a microcosm of the universe. The universe exists in us. That's an African belief, okay? <laughs> Therefore, if that's true, then by studying yourself, by knowing yourself, you come to know the universe. By coming to know the universe, you're coming to know yourself. That's why they said, know thyself, okay? <laughs> if we accept the European concept, then you're left with a self with no uh, relationship to the universe, 
no um, uh, emotional involvement in the universe. It is detached, okay? Um, but that was necessary to create that object. The important thing about the object was that it could be controlled. That's what Plato was getting at, and that's what has been accepted since his time. That in order to know, in order to be able to have knowledge, you had to be independent. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what the separateness did for you. Mm -hmm. And that's what the lack of feeling did for you. It gave you control over something. What you control is the object. So we come back to the object. Now, if you look in terms of people and cultures, we become the object. Okay. You see, okay. that can be controlled, that can be acted on in any way necessary or possible. What do you do when you go into a scientific laboratory? You have these things that you can manipulate and do whatever you want with. That's the same way in which African people are treated, are related to by Europeans as objects that can be manipulated in whatever way has to be manipulated. Now, what we do is we feed into that by accepting their definitions of reality. Or we would understand, we're not objects. Hey, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? That there is a spiritual reality that connects us to the universe and so forth and so on. You, you've already touched on this, but um, um, what do you mean by a spiritual, spiritual universe? And what kind of universe did um, okay. Plato... We're going to be talking about him a lot, I see. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> By a spiritual uh, universe. We, we mean um, a u universe that is fundamentally spiritual in nature. That means that spirit is the fundamental reality. That, that means that there is a level of reality that gives meaning to everything else in the universe that that's the it's, it's like a foundation it gives meaning to everything else and it connects everything else see that's why rhythm by the way is so important to us as a people because it's that which connects things we believe in connectedness we look for relationships for interrelationships again what plato did was the, what i believe is that that connectedness that rhythm in the universe is difficult for the European to understand because they function on a level of um, surface, a surface level, a literal level, not a multi-dimensional level with depth. And when you start talking about spirit, you're talking about uh, multi-dimensionality, multi-levels that get deeper and deeper and deeper. When you talk about the object, what you're doing is that's just a very surface um, kind of reality. In all African systems, there are levels that you go to as you grow. In fact, life, uh, a human life, is the development through stages of existence where you, you're learning more and more and more. Mm -hmm. you know about yourself and the universe so among the Dogon people if I can go back to them they have a level the, the simplest level is called Jiri So G-I-R-I then S-O and it uh, translates um, word at face value for them that is the most superficial level of learning 
-hmm. And they move from there to um, what they call word from the side, then word from behind, then clear word. So you're getting to deeper, uh, you're, getting, you're gaining perspective, you see, you're, you're, you're getting textures of, of, of truth. Mm -hmm. You go to the object, you go to Plato's concept, and what you have is a very simplistic way of looking at reality that necessarily disconnects everything. It compartmentalizes. It separates. Go back to your question about what is the spiritual universe. The spiritual universe, that concept tells us that you cannot separate things. That there is some level on which everything is interconnected. Okay? That's one thing it means. It also means that um, we are focused on meaning. Not just what something appears to be, but what does it mean? How is it a, a, a symbol of a, of a deeper sacred truth? That's what it means to think in terms of a spiritual universe. That's how we think as, as African beings. So it's powerful, but it's also um, difficult mm -hmm. if, if, you, if it's not your nature. And maybe impossible if it's not your nature. You see, so if, if um, what, what Plato was doing, and we really need to get beyond this because it's, 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 it's larger than, than Plato. Okay. Okay? Uh, but what he was doing was he came along at a time in European development where um, in order to solidify and to concretize and to, and to further develop the definition of what it meant to be European, he used um, thought. He said, if I can get people to agree to a certain way of, of thinking, um, then it can help to uh, um, define who's going to be in charge of this hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? And if you're dealing with a people who, remember what, what um, uh, the, the Africans said about the Greeks? What did they say? They said, you Greeks are but children. What did they mean? They meant that they could only um, approach reality on a, on, that, on a surface level, that they couldn't understand the depth of the symbolism that was involved in African culture and in comedic uh, civilization. So now, if he could get people to accept a definition of truth, which was simple in this way, you see, which did cut out the spirit, the rhythm, the connectedness, and so forth, then what he could do was to indeed infer, affirm who he was. Mm. That's what they did. They defined truth in such a way that it, um, that it affirmed them it was indeed in their image. Now, you say that his work was not very influential, um during the time that he lived. Uh, how did it become so influential? Okay, when, it, when I say that it wasn't um, very influential, I mean that he was still fighting a, a battle, mm -hmm. that there were still other views, okay. and it was not uh, popular, mm -hmm. you know, at that time. But he had vision. That's what I believe, that he was definitely not a, uh, a philosopher with his head in the clouds, uh, as Aristophanes said about the making, poking fun at the philosophers of the time, that he had a model, had a plan, and had a vision. 
So that what happens is you, um, the academy he puts in place, the academy becomes the institution which supports this concept of truth, which in turn supports the structure of the state that he's trying to build. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. Which includes slavery and everything else. Um, after him, then you get um, these conceptions being developed by later uh, subsequent philosophers, um, even Aristotle, who is, um, you know, when you learn in school, he is uh, contrasted with Plato, like, like his one big difference between Aristotle and Plato. From our point of view, in terms of cultural realities, in terms of the European Asili, they're like extensions of each other. He's just a continuance of that and, and, and put focus in a, in a different area, further developed it, but has the same Asili. Then you come to the Neoplatonists. You come to uh, even Augustine. I'm showing how Augustine's uh, 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 relationship to Platonic thought. And then you have, once you have the academy in, in place, and people should understand what I mean by the academy, that is where um, uh, your scholars, you know, come out of. That is the basis for all of the educational system that we have and, and so forth. Um, once that's in place, it begins to grow and grow and grow and to the point that what we have now is you don't have to argue for a particular concept of truth in the school, say here in America. Mm -hmm. It is assumed the things that Plato was arguing for then. He had to argue, for instance, for the uh, dominance of the written or, or, or literate modality over the all. What had been the uh, tradition was uh, uh, the reciting of, of uh, um, oral um, uh, epics and, 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 and stories and so forth that everybody could get involved in. And there was a lot of emotional involvement and so forth. Um, what Plato saw in that was he couldn't control that. It was a lack of control. There's too much participation, you see, from large numbers of people. But in terms of how they used writing, it becomes a mechanism for control. It's lineal in thinking, non-circular. The, 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 it, it, the lineal is less spiritual. You see, mm -hmm. it's, it's more secular, and it becomes something where once you write down the, the word, then that word becomes oppressive. What, what do you mean? Because writing. What do you mean? Then? It's like, uh, you know, we do that now. Um, we'll say, oh, um, it's in a book. I had a teacher once said to me that um, as missionaries, women to Africa and other areas, Catholic missionaries, that they didn't have a problem converting us because they had a superior religion and the way that people knew that it was superior was because there was this book mm -hmm. that it was it was in writing and it was something that they could point to in writing so that what what plato was setting up was that you could use uh the written word to intimidate people and have them feel that something was truer because mm -hmm. it was in writing
You are listening to a pre-recorded show tonight at Africa's Reascension. Please leave comments and feedback on this blog talk page. We will have a follow-up show on this information given at a future time, so please click on the follow button so you can stay updated on all the happenings at Africa's Reascension. Now back to our program. The word to intimidate people and have them feel that something was truer because it was in writing. Okay? Now, um, that wasn't always the case. Because at the time, we're talking that he's writing and doing his work. You know how many people are reading? <laughs> Not many. And that took a long time until the, the Gutenberg Galaxy, where you had uh, many, many more books um, available over the Gutenberg Bible. That it was made, it, the printing was such that uh, there could be, uh, you know, books, and uh, primarily it was the Bible available to people on a large scale, media people, okay? Writing is very important. I'm not going to tell you it isn't. Books are very important. They're also very limited. You see? That that is only one way of if, if um, I write something, then um, I shouldn't be relying just on a literate uh, or literal, literal interpretation of what it is I'm saying. Mm -hmm. If I do that, that's very closed. When we, you, write poetry, mm -hmm. when we um, compose music, okay, when we drum, all the things that we do, it allows for much more than a literal interpretation so that we're able to get to a deeper level of reality. And all I'm saying is that we should not, um, we should not close out these other modes of expression, um, of, of communication, that they're very important. What we're doing now is very important. It can't, we cannot rely merely on the written word. Okay, and I think that there is a tendency for us not to understand that, for us to, um, to not understand the power that is in other modalities of ways in which we uh, express ourselves. And even in the way that we use the written word, because our people did that. We used writing, but we used it in a more symbolic way. Okay. Okay. What is the Europeanization of human consciousness? It is the acceptance of what I'm calling the objectification of the universe, mm -hmm. the materialization of the universe, so that again, um, spirit is denied, spirit is uh, mistrusted, um, it is relegated to an inferior uh, uh, position. And what happens is then, we um, think in ways that facilitate our oppression. We think in ways that deny our spiritual power. That's what I call the Europe, 
peonization of, of our consciousness. And that has been talked about by other authors. Um, Asante talks about that. Mm -hmm. um, um, but it is a consciousness which reflects the European. Mm -hmm. Someone sitting home might say, well, you know, what's, what's the harm in listening to a little Bach, a little Beethoven, um, getting into some Mil Milton, almost a Mil mm -hmm. Mil <laughs> Milton, what's the, what's the harm? Um, the harm is that if you are a people who have uh, been so conditioned as we have mm -hmm. that we have to even sit here and discuss convince each other of what are our strengths um, what did we lose what did we have who are we in a positive sense that your focus become that little bit of Bach and that little bit of Milton and a little bit of this so forth and so on when you have not indeed understood the African worldview, African philosophy, African conceptions of truth, what African ritual is all about, um, ancient African history, um, African culture, that you have not, that needs to be your frame of reference. Then, when you get that little bit of Bach, you have a context within which to place it. What happens with us is the reverse. We have terms, this comes out of the European Asili, uh, the European concept of truth, like classical. Okay? Classical it's supposed to mean the highest form in any particular culture, right? It's what you value most. That's one meaning for classical. It also can be a reference point, a pinnacle, a high point. So we are raised to think that Bach, Beethoven, whoever, that represents classical music in a universal sense. That becomes our reference point. We're saying, well, that's the best. Everything else, and now we know we don't enjoy it the most. You know what I mean? <laughs> we know that. But we feel a little bit, uh, well, that helps to make us not quite, we haven't reached yet. You know what I mean? Whatever that point is we're supposed to reach, we haven't gotten there yet because we still enjoy all this other music. We've got to be refined a little bit more. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's the danger. The danger is what we know of the culture of our uh, uh, oppressors and the place that it has in our value system that is the superficial value system, which is a product of colonialism. It's being colonized. That's the danger. The danger is that we right now, the, 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 the position that we're in, the condition that we're in, we need to be putting all of our energies into understanding who we are because by understanding that that's what gives you 
the, 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 the posture to be able to look critically at what has been imposed on us. We don't have a place to look critically at it because we are assuming the superiority of it. That's why I thought this study was important because all you have to do is get outside of it, study the African worldview, and then you can be in a position to deny that reality. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this question to, to, to finish up with Plato. You would say that Plato uh, played a great role in creating what we today call the European? Yes. And for what reason now? Yes. Um, what I see is that um, in the development of um, European culture, which is an ongoing process, um, in the fulfillment of the Asili, that there are certain seminal points, seminal thinkers, doers, um, who at whatever point in history they were at, um, served a, 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 a role of, um, of solidifying and further developing the definition of what it means to be European. Now, let's look at before Plato. What you have are a lot of European groups. You know, we can look at the Indo-Europeans, who have already, the Asilisi, I think, is in place, okay? How does it manifest itself? It manifests itself in aggression. Aggression. A silly meaning. This cultural seed uh -huh. that for the Europeans is defined in terms of the need for power in order to um, um, uh, uh, achieve fulfillment. Okay. I believe that's unlike any other cultural theory. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so you see aggression. You already see the individualism. It would be good to look at Diaz's work, for instance, in terms of looking at the features of what he calls the, you know, the Indo-European or the Northern Cradle. Okay, uh -huh. so you, you already see these things. However, it cannot become the, the world dominant power that it needs to be because you, they're not uh, unified. Okay, so what do you need? You need something to begin to say to these people, you are one. You um, can gain more power by coming together. Because when you've got this strong destructive tendency, which is something that I talk about, you know, in the book, you see, there's an innate destructive tendency. You've got this individualism because we've already talked about the separation of, of, of the human being, right? Mm -hmm. You've got this aggressive tendency then if you, something doesn't bring you together, what will you do? You destroy each other, okay? Plato comes along and he uses the concept of truth, what, what would be called an epistemology. That's only the concept of truth. Uses that um, as something around which people can come together and identify and say, okay, this is going to be us. Now, as I said, that didn't happen right away. He had to fight all these other people that would be dissonant, you know, voices. But eventually, yes, that became what Europeans identified with. They said this way of thinking, this rationalism, this extreme rationalism that helps us to control, it gives us the illusion that we are controlling the future, the past, the universe, and everything. 
This is us as European people. So he was key at that point. Now, then you get a little later stage. Here comes along. Let's look at 312, um, what they call A.D. Um, here comes Constantine. What does he do? He sees that what you need is a religious statement which will uh, help to achieve this world domination, this power. Help to bring these Europeans together so that they can have power over others. So he adopts Christianity, you see. And that gives him the model that he needs in order to say, we have the right, in fact, we have the mandate. And he said he personally had the mandate. And you need to look at his own quotes and the things that were written about him. To go throughout the world and in the name of this one true God, which was them, which was the Europeans, um, to make everybody into uh, these Christians. So he's adopting Christianity as a weapon of control. Absolutely. And as to, to uh, it's, it's compatible with the Roman Empire. The, on a political level, you've got this empire which is spreading and spreading and spreading, right? He wants control of that. He looks at this religion and he says, ha, ah, that'll do it. That will help me. What I'll do is say, look, there's only one God. Christianity comes along. There are all these other religions in the world. Christianity comes along and says, all of the other religions are false. All of them are bad. This is the one true one. Well, that fits. Then he says, I've been placed here to uh, service this one true God. They put me here for this. I've got to conquer people so that they can, you know, be correct religiously. I hate to do it, but... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. But I have to. <laughs> Go ahead. What you gonna do? No, go ahead. No, I'm just saying. That's All right. What he's saying. <laughs> so that's what he's saying. Um, you know, he he had this vision, this dream with this cross, and the cross said, "Conquer by this." Now, this is all in his own words and in his friend's Eusebius's words, right? And he takes this cross, made everybody make these crosses, and said, "Conquer by this," and they went into battle. They won, and that was it. He said, "Yeah, this is the thing." And I'm saying that at that point in the development of uh, uh, European culture, that was key. That became this solidifying, uh, defining form, uh, institution that would help to bring together. Uh, monolithic. Yes. Uh -huh. What was what was Europe? What was it going to be? All fulfilling the Asili. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then at another stage, um, you get this definition of science doing that. Again, based on this, this concept of the object, mm -hmm. that um, we are the scientists. This is the age of science. Um, uh, we are in the forefront of that. Uh, and therefore, we have the right to rule the world, really, because we are the scientists. We are the smartest people, most knowledgeable people. Um, the uh, capitalism at, at, at one point becomes uh, that which brings together uh, the European self-image um, and has them working as one, helping to further develop the Asili. 
So at different stages in European development, um, there, there is a need, there's, there's this, this tendency to, to be fighting each other, you see, um, um, and then of course you have all the other people in the world who are also uh, developing and responding to this, so you need ways of, of controlling them and ways of, of making sure your troops are tight and together. So you need something to rally around. I want to ask you about Greek myths and, and how Greek myths help explain um, European violence. Oh, um, well, I think it, 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 it uh, probably helps more to um, not so much explain it, but as to, to, to demonstrate mm -hmm. it and the need for violence, which I think is part of the Asili. Mm -hmm. um, there is um, well. Let's not even look at. Let, let's not look at that uh, myth. Let's look at. Um, let's go prior to that and look at uh, Indo-European um, mythology. When you uh, talk about Odin mm -hmm. uh, and these various gods, who were the war gods, who had to be fed uh, by human blood. Um, who rewarded people with um, uh, uh, this heaven, uh, you know, Valhalla, yeah, Valhalla. Um, which was the warrior heaven, which was this great honor if you got to go there. Um, and the emphasis was on uh, individual, uh, individuals in battle, and, uh, you know, the bloodier the battle, the, the better it was, because it, it made you a, a, a better person and, and so forth. Um, early Indo-European mythology um, is, is replete with or filled with um, these kinds of, of images and, and, uh, and concepts. Um, within the Greek culture, we get the same thing, where um, violence is um, it's valued. Um, it's sought after. There is some kind of fulfillment that comes out of it. Now, in terms of my uh, analysis, um, it is that the Asili, again, you must understand, is incomplete. So that it's not in harmony with the universe. And I think the concept of harmony is a very important one for us as a spiritual people. Um, and so it, it is like almost uh, what uh, Colby Cambone says, um, uh, formerly uh, uh, Joe Baldwin. He says that, that they come to be, the European, as being outside of, of nature, outside of that natural uh, uh, universe, which is a state of harmony. And therefore, there's this constant thrust to try to... Um, uh, 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 subdue nature or to see that as an enemy so that the emphasis is on confrontation, it's on destruction um, and you see it within Greek culture uh, you know as well um, so that the Yassili, um, um has to it, it forces the, 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 the collective the group uh, 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 behavior to be destructive now that can bring us to even their concept of progress. 
We, as African people, accept this idea of progress, thinking that uh, we've got to imitate uh, Europeans, that, um, you know, uh, everything that is technologically more efficient is better. The higher uh, you can build buildings, the better it is. The more cement that you have, you know, the bigger the cities and so forth and so on. We don't really look at where their idea of progress comes from. It comes from their worldview. And it is really about um, controlling nature. It is about, and, and, and the feelings of power that come from that for them. So we don't get feelings of power by controlling nature. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's the difference. Um, it is about consuming the universe consumption so that now you get them talking about the problem of uh what ecological sanity they call it mm -hmm. that's a very deep issue but they are not prepared to deal with it because the culture doesn't have the, the wherewithal to deal with it you can't deal with uh the concept of uh interrelationship of all of us as natural beings in the universe and the balance and harmony when you're talking about things being objects mm -hmm. you can't do that because the way you think doesn't allow you to do mm -hmm. it what problem does that present for african people um you talked about how plato influenced um european thinking but here you have uh, africans um in African-Americans, in mm -hmm, this case, mm -hmm. in a culture where, as you indicated earlier, we are forced in many cases to ape, mm -hmm. ape Europeans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, how, does, how does this need to split mm -hmm. the emotional mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the uh, rational, mm -hmm. all right, to be like Plato, right. how does that impact on us? Okay, what it does is that um, if we were, we talk about having independent schools, which I think is what we need to be doing. We need to be having our own schools, because of course you've got to educate your own children. Mm -hmm. um, but in doing that, we need to be looking at what are the concepts that you're going to use as you develop your children how are you going to make sure that they are being developed as african children how are you going to guarantee that it is a spiritual conception of the universe that they learn to use so that they can be that their energies can be can be liberated can be released what is happening is that we are using these same concepts that you've just referred to in dealing with our own children. What does that do to them? You know how we talk all the time about uh, the problem of our children being turned off in school? You have teachers talking about, I can't reach them. We talk about, um, oh, this child is hyperactive. Um, and so you want to give them drugs so that you can, you know, uh, control them. Mm -hmm. um, what we're doing 
is trying to relate to our children using our uh, using alien concepts of not only truth, not only learning, but of the human being. So that the spiritual needs of our children are not being met in those school arenas. Because we've made the mistake of thinking that, see what a, the academy means is that you separate out whatever is intellectual from everything else. So that in the European conception, an academy is, is a place where intellectual things go on and there's no place for anything else. That's not a realistic uh, conception of a human being. Human being is a whole human being. So when you have a child in a school and in a classroom, they are not just this mind that you, that you want to control. That you yeah. pump stuff in and yeah. you're ignoring the rest of them and so forth. So that we have to find, for instance, I'm going to take something which will seem very simple to you, uh -huh. um, probably unimportant. That would be good. <laughs> but, it's, but to yeah. me, it's central. Mm -hmm. And it's a good example. If we, we are going to have to look at how do we build buildings. How do we build buildings in such a way that we help ourselves to, to communicate with each other and with our spirits? And how will that help us to think? How are we going to arrange classrooms? We take for granted that you have to arrange a classroom so that you have these lines of seats. You know, and then we ask the children to stick. They come in there. You know, we talk about five, six, seven-year-olds, and they have to sit. And they have to sit absolutely still all the time. There's, there's no other way that they do things. Suppose when we come together, we form circles. You see? Would that make a difference? That's what we have to begin to look at is we have to question everything, which is enlightenment, which is spiritual fulfillment, illumination. This comes straight out of um, African civilization. Um, all African learning involves that, okay? So that this was a group of people who took the, the, um, the Christian mythology and used the mode of the mysteries and they would come together in groups and and talk and try to develop themselves spiritually and so forth now there were problems with that because given a spiritual conception of the universe which they had okay they said that the importance of the myth about jesus was that it pointed to the ability of all human beings to be reborn spiritually. And that it was a symbol of that rebirth. That was an important point. Another important uh, point about their organization was um, they didn't believe in hierarchy they would come together in groups. It's almost like you have a study group now. Mm -hmm. And you learn from each other. No bosses. 
Exactly. <laughs> okay, so that was an important uh, point. Another point we could make is that uh, the female principal or women had a, 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 a more important part to play mm -hmm. in, uh, in their group. Okay? Now, but institutionalized religion had an ideological role to play, okay, a political role to play in the formulation and the solidification of the European empire, okay, in order to fulfill the Assyri, which is seeking power. Constantine sees this. Others see this. What would help that to happen is to have an institution, the church, which has a hierarchy, um, which has a chain of command. Okay, that's one thing. So keep that in mind. So the Gnostics are a threat to that because they say, no, we don't recognize any hierarchy. Very importantly. Now this is a, this is a, this fascinates me, this point, but, but you just got to follow me along, okay? We'll be following you on this one. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> there is what we call the Apostolic Church. The Apostles. Mm -hmm. What they say, and this is a, what most Christians would say, is that the resurrection of Jesus was an actual, I don't think actual is a good word here, physical occurrence an historical occurrence. Now, question is, why do they put so much emphasis on that? Okay? The Gnostics said that that whole concept was to be understood symbolically, again, as pointing to the idea of how you could resurrect the spirit. And so it was a spiritual concept. Okay? Now, we know that we had had concepts of resurrection long before the Jesus story, mm -hmm. right? So that the, the meaning of that has to do with uh, the regeneration of life, okay? And with illumination and coming to know self and so forth. It's a very deep concept. The apostolic uh, Christian church said that it had only to be understood as an historical, physical occurrence that took place just like you and I are sitting here. The resurrection. Yes, that it did not, it was not to be understood spiritually or symbolically. Why? Why did they put so much emphasis on that? Because then what they said was, this took place at a, at a particular point in time, particular place, and there were people who saw it. Why are they so important? Because those people can then say, well, Jesus said to me, do this, build this, okay? Mm -hmm. On this rock and so forth. And those people who actually witnessed this, this physical occurrence, then pass on authority, which they have gotten directly from this person. By being in the presence. By being in that presence. Mm -hmm. They pass it on. Then that group passes it on. That is the concept of the apostolic church. What are you passing on? You're passing on authority. 
you're passing on the sanction to be able to say, we control this and we can tell you what is right and what is wrong and so forth and what to do and how it should work. So that papal authority to this day in the Catholic Church, in the Catholic Church mm -hmm. is based on that foundation of being able to say that this is something that occurred at a specific time in a specific place and there were these people who saw it and they then had the authority to then give us the authority. So you see how organization is involved, ideology is involved, and that it had to serve a particular uh, purpose of political achieving, purpose. a political purpose of achieving mm -hmm. power. The Gnostics would get in the way of that. And there were other heretics, they called them heretics also, who were giving different interpretations of the teachings that didn't fit mm -hmm. the objective of gaining power. The Gnostics were saying, no, that's not the important thing. Everybody can experience uh, this rebirth and this, re this resurrection. And everybody can become spiritually illuminated. But it takes work, and it takes spiritual work. Now to the Judeo-Christian split, which is um, okay. just as interesting. Yeah, I enjoy talking about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the background that... that, that, that uh, that I'm assuming that people would know because uh -huh. I just I don't have time to go okay. through all of that is the extent to which Judaism embodied the the um, values and principles that we're talking about they're a part of European culture okay very very uh, the the monotheism the um, uh, the written codification okay um, also patriarchy by the way but that's another issue uh -huh. um, so then you have the Christian formulation, which comes directly out of that, right? Then the question, I, I remember I was young and always raised in my mind, well, why then this antagonism? Why the need to say, you know, that one was wrong and one was right and we're not them and so forth, when they're really, you know, the same thing? The answer is always political and in terms of power when you're talking about European culture. And that's what the concept of the theory helps us to mm -hmm. do. Always look for what are the political implications? What are the implications for the development of European culture? Look at the power trail. Exactly. Uh -huh. And that's mm -hmm. what it is. It's mm -hmm. a trail. Mm -hmm. um, what Judaism did was to say to its people, which was a small group of people, you are a special people. You have been put here to, um, to be a model. And through your actions, others will, they will learn and they will see that. But still, they're not going to be you. They aren't going to be the chosen people. They aren't going to be the special people ever. You have been put here for that special reason. Okay? Um... What Paul begins to do is something else. That statement, that the, the statement that the Jewish people are making within that religious context is not one that can be used for expansion. They aren't seeking converts. You see? Mm -hmm. They're saying, we're special. And we're, we're, we're an elite, wherever we are, and we're content to remain that way. We know we're superior. We don't want to convert anybody. We don't want to convert anybody uh -huh. because you can't be us. Mm -hmm. But 
the European, I'm sorry, put ego, self-image is expanding. It's got to grow. Because they're talking about world domination. They want to conquer people. How can they use the religion to conquer people and at the same time say, you can't be in this? They couldn't do that. So what changes is the whole definition of the Gentiles and that they could also be saved. So that Paul can then preach, people can then preach, if you come into this thing, we can then save you. Well then, now, so what do you gain by that? You gain the same way that the Romans were able to go around the world and say, look, we'll make you a Roman citizen. And then by that, you become civilized. And still, they maintain power. Okay? This uses the religion to say, become a Christian. You will be saved. But it's like being saved in their image, mm -hmm. because still it's Europeans in control, Europeans in dominance. The Jewish statement was too um, contained, okay, too tribalistic in a sense, to allow for that. Um, and it's a question of rhetoric as well. What has worked so well in European Christianity to colonize uh, all of us is the rhetoric of saying we love you and we have this gift to share with you and we're doing this for you. You know, the whole brotherhood mm -hmm. rhetoric. That is only rhetoric that is meant for those who uh, would be victims of the colonial thrust, of the imperialistic thrust. Okay, that rhetoric was not in the Jewish statement. didn't say. In fact, you need to look at Deuteronomy. You need to look at the Old Testament. It's very clear. It's saying you do whatever you have to do to those other people who believe in those other gods. Kill them. Their children, the babies. Now, this is in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I don't know to what extent people, you know, have carefully read mm -hmm. that. But look in Deuteronomy. It is very clear. It's a very uh, uh, aggressive uh, uh, statement in the sense of, it's really defensive, saying protect yourself against those false gods and kill anybody that you have to mm -hmm. who is trying to get you to believe in any other god. Mm -hmm. Okay? But it did not, it's not about them trying to go throughout the world and convert um, other people. The, the conversion... You are listening to a pre-recorded show tonight at Africa's Reascension. Please leave comments and feedback on this blog talk page. We will have a follow-up show on this information given at a future time, so please click on the follow button so you can stay updated on all the happenings at Africa's Reascension. Now back to our program. Good evening and welcome to the final part of our conversation with Dr. Donna M. Richards, author of Urugu, an African-centered critique of European cultural thought and behavior. At 
what I'm arguing in, uh, in the chapter on religion and ideology that we have not understood as a people mm-hmm. is that every religion is a statement of, it is a, sacraliz- a sacralizing, a making sacred of a nationalist ideology. Every religion says to a particular cultural group, you are special, you are sacred, this is what you're supposed to be doing, you know, and this mm-hmm. is why you're here, and so mm-hmm. forth. Every religion is tied to culture, and what we have fallen for is this, this, this rhetoric of cool. that rhetorical ethic. Yeah, uh-huh. and also the, 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 what I call the syntax of universalism, which mm-hmm. really got us, which is that there are universal religions, universal ways of, of thinking that go beyond culture. You see, that's there for everybody. Christianity is for everybody. Christianity has functioned in the service of European culture. That's the European power. Okay, now... The rhetorical ethic comes in, they're not going to say that. When they come to take over your land, they're going to say, we're here to love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Speaking of taking over land, let's, let, let me read a quote from um, Urugu, an African-centered critique of European cultural thought and behavior. The part that I'm looking for uh, deals with the loophole. Oh. and his dealings in the uh, Congo. Congo. And maybe you can comment on on that. Um, I think you were quoting Cohen, mm-hmm. who says, quote, whole districts were depopulated mm-hmm. of eight villages with a population of over 3,000. Only 10 persons were left. Of another district, the population dropped in 15 years from 50,000 to 5,000. The Bulangi tribe, formerly numbering 40,000, sank to 8,000. King Leopold, it is calculated, netted a profit of between three and five million sterling and could call to God to witness the purity to his motives and his desire to promote civilization. Okay, that might be Chen Weizu, is that... uh... Cohen's book. Okay, because there's another uh, book I would refer everybody to, uh, The West and the Rest of Us by Chin okay. Weizu, who is a okay. Nigerian author who, it's such an indictment of, of uh, European uh, colonialism, and it has, uh, it talks about that as well. Um, lots in there that um, touches on what I'm trying to get at in, in this book. Because one of the things I'm trying to do is to show the consistency in European behavior towards uh, Africans and, and, and other non-European people. Um, one of the reasons that Leopold, who's only one, you know, right. in, in many, we happen to know about him. You know, you could talk about Columbus and his governors and, and, and cutting off parts of... of, of, of uh, people's hands and so forth. Um, one of the reasons that they're able to do that is because they can uh, make of human beings objects. Because they can 
see us mm -hmm. as things. You see, and that's why it's important to see the relationship between platonic thought as it has developed throughout European uh, development and what we are taught in school and that behavior. And that's one of the things that I wanted to do in, in the book is it's easy for us to hear this as an atrocity story. Mm -hmm. Say, that's an exception. Uh, isn't that horrible? But we need to see that in a very meaningful way, philosophers like Plato, who we say is so wonderful. Okay. Um, Cart. Uh, I would say even... Even Nebur, uh, Reinhold Nebur, who is a, a Christian philosopher, that they are connected to that behavior because they support a worldview or they, they, they affirm and teach a worldview which makes it possible. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to see. We need to see the connection. We also need to see that given the Europeans' approach to reality, and um, their, their lack of relationship to spiritual reality, that they are able to have that kind of behavior, the, the physical destruction of human beings, and at the same time to use the name of their God in relationship to it. Mm -hmm. And there's no contradiction. I have a quote somewhere from the special forces which says, oh, God, in your name, uh, help us, you know, to do what we have to do to these people. Mm -hmm. Because we do it. You know, you have told us to do this. Um, I have a, a quote, there's the, the uh, as uh, Du Bois pointed out, the good ship Jesus, mm -hmm. which was one of the first uh, um, slave ships. ships uh -huh. Okay. Um, there's no contradiction between ship Jesus, right. the thought. Right. And then uh -huh. they have a whole prayer about uh -huh. please don't let us lose too many people on, on this as we do this. Uh -huh. Please, you know, make our injuries as few as possible as we go in to, to, uh, to uh -huh. rape this land and take so, so let me ask you this. How do, how do you see black missionary work today? Mm. That is, black churches mm. who engage in... Uh, let me say, and I, because I don't want to just point fingers at particular people, but that is one of the most extreme. No, not most extreme. It's not one of the most extreme. It's one of the most blatant, mm -hmm. one of the most obvious examples of African self-hatred that we would experience. It is not one of the most extreme. I think that we all suffer from a self-hatred and that it manifests itself in different ways. That um, certainly a, a, a missionary who is going among African people to preach a doctrine which uh, implies their inferiority um, is a sad phenomenon because they're talking about themselves. They have accepted another whole cultural form, whole cultural experience as being superior to who they are. 
And they have accepted that without thought, without questioning. What I'm trying to do is to get people to question at a fundamental level. That's what we need to go back and do. We need to, to question our basic assumptions about the nature of reality. And that's the hardest thing for people to do. So that a, a, uh, a black missionary is, um, is denying spirituality. Because they can't say, how can they say that these people that I represent, this form that I represent is more spiritual than what you have here? How can, they can't say that. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So they're in a religion which is And they're basically saying what the, what the slave master said. Precisely. You have no religion that's worthy of... That's right. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. They have accepted that. Uh -huh. So in order for them to accept that, what do they think about themselves? Uh -huh. You see? It's Woodson all over again. Carter G. Woodson. You don't need the shackles anymore. You don't even need the back door and the sign saying go through the back door. Because the conditioning is, is so thorough that we will make the back door ourselves. I want to ask you about the um, your thoughts on the so-called New World Order, but I want to read another quote um, that would um, uh, touch on that. Mm -hmm. uh, from your book again, Urugu, African Senate Critique of European Cultural Thought and Behavior. Um, you're quoting J.B. Berry mm -hmm. here. In the latter period of Greek history, which began with the conquest of Alexander the Great, there had emerged the conception of the whole inhabited world as a unity and totality, the idea of the whole human race as one. We may conveniently call it the ecumenical idea, right. the principle of the ecumen, or inhabited world, as opposed to the principle of polis, or city, promoted by the vast extension of the geographical limits of the Greek world resulting from Alexander's conquest and by his policy of breaking down the barriers between Greek and barbarian, the idea was reflected in the Stoic doctrine that all men are brothers and that a man's true country is not his own particular city, but the ecumen. It soon became familiar, popularized by the most popular of later philosophies of Greece. And just as it had been implied in the imperial theory of Rome, the idea of the Roman Empire its theoretical justification might be a common order, the unification of mankind in a single world embracing political organism. The term world, or this, which imperial poets use freely in speaking of the empire is more than a mere poetical or patriotic exaggeration. It expresses the idea, the unrealized ideal of the empire, there is a stone from Halicarnassus in the British Museum on which the idea is formally expressed from another point of view. The inscription is of the time of Augustus, and the emperor is designated as, quote, savior of the community of mankind. That is an expression of the European Asili, is an expression of the European cultural ego, um, the need to constantly expand, to consume, and to control the universe and to dominate the world. It is um, 
I would say, marketed as um, a uh, spurious but doubtful um, humanism, universalism, um, desire to um, keep peace in the world, um, order the world, do away with difference, um, the Pax Romana, which was supposed to be this great peace mm -hmm. that would be over the world, meant one thing. It meant Roman domination of the world. Um, the same thing with Alexander. Uh, but more importantly, the same thing with Europeans now. And when I say Europeans, I hope everybody understands that I'm talking about European-Americans as well, talking about Europeans, mm -hmm. wherever they are, that this talking about uniting uh, the world, there being one culture, one world, um, uh, saving uh, us from, from ourselves, so to speak, that that is a rhetoric that we fall into. The, the Christian rhetoric is the same. It is this universalistic rhetoric talking about universal brotherhood, where uh, actually what is being expressed is um, the asili seeking to fulfill itself, the, the uh, need to achieve more and more, greater and greater European dominance and power throughout the world. How did the Romans do it? They did it by saying, order in the world is brought there through us, by us. We are the ones who bring order. Well, that's the same thing as saying, um, as imposing your culture on another group of people mm. so that you can control them, conquer them, subdue them, and make them victims. Um, that you read by uh, Burry. Uh, points to this uh, tendency, this thrust of European culture, which is uh, to rule the world. It's that simple. Uh, does it not show you also how old this idea exactly. uh, is? That it's an old one. Exactly. And it uh -huh. shows you the consistency. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we fall prey to is when so-called liberals, uh, critics, um, of European society um, would say that this only existed at a certain time or it only exists now or this is an exception. Um, they uh, avoid the fact that or the reality that there has always been a consistent thrust of European culture and that is this, this, this drive um, I have another African term that I use for that. The, the energy source is the utamarojo, this drive to, to seek power, to seek control. Um, and that has, been, that has been consistent, and it has now it expresses itself um, in terms of what he calls this ecumenic, uh, ecumenical thrust, um, which sounds wonderful, bringing everybody together. But you bring everybody together under you. Mm -hmm. So it is consistency that we look for when we use the concept of a ceiling. What do we do to ourselves when we hear 
President Bush or Clinton um, speak about the the new order mm-hmm. and um, and anticipate that order. Um, and uh, what? How should we? Is, are there any uh, tools of analysis, mm-hmm. tools of, I don't know what the word is, that we can use that would make us, when we hear things, say, okay, um, bing, bing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. And tools of, of analysis is exactly what it is. And that's why, why I've developed, uh, or we have developed the concept of, of a Sealy. Uh-huh. Um, and and some other concepts that go along with with a feeling. You hear a statement from Bush. You hear a statement from Clinton. Whoever it is, and right away, what you say is, okay, how does this fit the feeling? Uh-huh. Okay. The feeling being being the um, the ideological core of the culture which helps you to see what is the political function of whatever it is that is being done or said. Mm-hmm. It is the seed of the culture which continues to develop, but it is the ideological core, it is the matrix, it is the essence and the place wherein all the different aspects of the culture come together and can be understood as monolith, as one thing. Okay? Now, this concept is simple. It helps to to do away with all of the confusion. I have used it um, in an after-school program that I have in Harlem, where I work with with young people. That once you identify this feeling, you just plug it in. The light goes goes off, mm-hmm. as you said, mm-hmm. and it's a, and you say, um, uh, or, or the light goes on, and you say, aha. Uh-huh. Now, how should I interpret that? I used an example with, our, with, the, with the children. Um, there was a headline in the paper. Bush sends so many thousands of troops into, um, into the Sudan, um, into uh, Somalia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked them, then it says, he is concerned that people be fed, okay? I had laid out the whole conceptual model of a Sealy to them, and then we had interpreted European culture using that model. And I said, now, how would you analyze that statement? Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. What we're looking at is the logic of European culture. That's what you have to do. You have to say, how does it work? That's what the Asili tells you, okay? So you don't get fooled Mm -hmm. by the rhetoric. So I said to them, and they could say to me, does it make sense knowing the European Asili, knowing how they have functioned throughout history, that Bush is going to be concerned with us eating? Does that make sense? No, it doesn't fit. You see, it's inconsistent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Then why would we think then? How do we need to look at him sending these troops in? The answer becomes because it's a way of extending the power. 
of the United States, of Europe, of whatever. Okay, so it makes things very simple for you and allows you, allows us. Well, some, someone cutting you off, someone mm -hmm. watching might say, well, I am an American, a black American, so what, uh, America expands its power, my power is expanded also. Okay, um, and that person has to understand what they're giving up, okay, what they've committed themselves to. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I'm going to say this on one level, um, which may not be meaningful for everybody, but needs to be, and that is on a spiritual level, that given the African conception of life, your life is not separate from that of other African people, nor is it separate from um, all of African existence in sacred time, not lineal time, which means that we have an accountability to our ancestors and to those who come after us and to the community. And so that you may think that you can get away with this and get uh, what, uh, certain advantages, uh, uh, possessions, or whatever it is that that person is seeking for yourself, you see, and that's your reward. The spiritual reality is that you are accountable to something much larger than that. And so that, that you are fooling yourself, that is an illusion for you to think of yourself as an individual or as an American, because certainly Europeans don't think of you as that. See, you've gone for the rhetoric in doing that. One of the most devastating things um, about the European worldview and about European ideology for us as a people is individualism. Individualism is their basis for functioning. Individualism is devastating to African people. Connectedness is our strength. Community is our strength. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, so that person who makes that argument is very, very short-sighted, to put it mildly, and is seeing things in a very limited context. Now, you can't, may not be able to convince them of that. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, it, 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 it will come out eventually, but people, because of how they've been conditioned, will have to see it. Well, I have to ask you this before I leave the Sudan, Sudan area. Um, and why is it that uh, Adid and the other uh, uh, faction mm -hmm. in um, the Sudan, why are they called warlords? <laughs> Not that they are good guys. I don't know what no, I don't know, know about them. Right. Why are they called warlords? Right. And the folks in Bosnia. Very um, good. Why are they just, uh, I guess, leaders or whatever? I right. Don't, why? why? Um, because of the importance of language, um, the connotation that language has. We've fallen for that. It is a trap. Mm -hmm. It immediately puts them into a certain context. Um, whenever um, 
the American public is to be galvanized around, um, uh, you know, a president's uh, um, uh, action mm-hmm. uh, against some some non-European uh, country. You notice this: the term barbarism, barbaric, will always come into play. That immediate what that what that's doing is setting up. Um, your thinking, and to me it goes again back to to Plato, where you the warlord see is 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 represents disorder, represents uh, 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 the chaos that must be ordered. So you have the saving troops going in to make order. So that's why they're called they got to be called warlords, just like African uh, uh, nations, language groups being called tribes because the association. Mm-hmm. You see, mm-hmm. is is with war and and even though the folks in Yugoslavia are maiming children and killing exactly. children, exactly. You're not gonna children. you're not gonna find uh-huh. those same terms being used because you what you want to do is to call forth very interesting uh, uh, certain ideas that are attached to certain feelings that will make us then indict our own people and identify with uh, with the Europeans who are going in. One one thing that I want to say um, that that's important and also uh, maybe a little difficult to understand, but as we st- the key is, and I would say to everybody, study the African worldview, um, study our conceptions of the universe, come back to who we are. No matter how much involved you become in in European culture, etc., mm-hmm. can you ever become master? Right, good. In, in that in, in, in that house. Okay. Uh-huh. Obviously, the answer is that you can't. Uh-huh. That it is constructed so that you, you cannot become that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will never be yours. Um, but the illusion is, um, and that's how they've done their job well, is that, uh, you know, everybody can move up in this. Look at what's happened. You know, um, you've, you've got uh, a Colin pa- Powell, you see, so you can become whatever there is to become. doesn't matter that he or anybody else has to be functioning uh, in the interest of European power. Abidi Fahodie, Total African Liberation. Yabedi and Kalim, we will be victorious. Next Sunday, 9 o'clock. Take care. The way the system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work and they will lose their control.